I will remind us today that we remain in the season of Lent, the season of inward turning, of examining our hearts and our lives. You'll recall that just a few weeks ago we began this season talking about death. We confront our mortality during this season. We have ashes imposed on our foreheads to remind us that it is from dust that we have come, and to dust we will return. So this 40-day journey throughout Lent is causing us to confront that, to think about Easter is coming. Death and the sting of death will be conquered, but we're focusing these 40 days on what it is to which we need to die in this world so that Christ might live through us. We call it giving up something for Lent. But really what, what we're saying is what needs to die in our lives in order to live fully for Christ. And so today we find our way to this fourth line of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us as we forgive others. Perhaps what needs to die is the false belief that we are unforgivable. Perhaps what we need to give up, that which needs to be mortified, is giving up on others or giving up on ourselves. And so we pray, forgive us, Lord, as we forgive others, even if that other is ourselves. This part of the Lord's Prayer it truly is the heart of the gospel, forgiveness. It's the intersection of the two beams of the cross, really, because it's the intersection, the collision of God's heart and our human condition, and it centers itself on the cross of Jesus Christ. We concede in praying this prayer that we have sinned. We concede and offer up that we have been sinned against. Said a little differently, we have all hurt others, and others have hurt us. And so how do we move from shame and pain to a place of healing? I want to offer that we begin by working on ourselves, what we have done to hurt God and to hurt other people. Sin is defined in one way as distancing one's self from God. There's a breach. There's a brokenness. We need a bridge. Christ offers that bridge. We get to partner in some way in the rebuilding of that bridge. And so the first step is to be aware that, that we've caused harm to God and others, and we cannot fix that ourselves. There's a power that we need that's greater than any one of us. And once we get to that place, we say, okay, there's others who have wronged me and need to be forgiven. This fourth line is, is not a suggestion. Jesus did not recommend that we ask forgiveness and then we contemplate forgiving someone else, nor did Jesus qualify his lesson by saying, only forgive these grievances, but hang on to these other ones. Let those slide because you'll need them as ammunition later when it comes time to get back at that person. That's not how the prayer works. That's how we wish it worked. He says we need to ask for forgiveness and we need to forgive others, period. In the Greek, the word for forgive is, is to release. 
to let go of, it's a posture of one's heart, it's a posture of one's hands. We're not meant to hang on to our guilt or to remain chained to our past, nor are we meant to keep others locked up by the ways they have caused harm to us. We are meant to experience release in this life. First steps in that direction are through repentance and confession. John Wesley said repentance is the dawning of salvation. The sun is beginning to rise on one's salvation when one realizes, I need help. I'm a sinful human being, and I need the grace of Jesus Christ. I, I discovered recently that the Catholic Church has uh, an app called, you know how we have iPhones and iPads? They have an app called I Confess. <laughs> Pretty creative. You may download the app, one may, and participate in their sacrament of confession. I think it surfaced during the pandemic to keep people engaged with the sacrament. Well, other websites began popping up where, in a very secure way, it's almost like a message board, one may post one's sins on this site and receive absolution for that sin from a priest. Now, I didn't dig too deeply into this, but... I did read where people use that platform to confess financial malfeasance, fraud, infidelity, and there was even someone who confessed to a murder on there. Maybe it was for shock value. I don't know. I didn't want to know a whole lot more beyond that, honestly. But more tame in nature and maybe more closely to home for us, one person typed, I am sorry, God, that I let you down. It's a good starting place. I believe these new phenomenons of online confession, they're telling us something about our human nature, that we're all carrying around a lot of baggage and we need some help lightening the load. And we don't want to harbor anger against other people forever. I do believe that. No one wants to hang on to that kind of anger and resentment his or her entire life. So Jesus gave us this opportunity to pray, forgive us, as we forgive others. I thought of another Catholic confessional moment where a man went into the confessional booth and he made the sign of the cross and he said, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. He said, well, what is your sin? Well, I said some really horrible things using some very colorful language this week and I feel terrible. Well, when did you say such awful things, asked the priest. Well, I was golfing. <laughs> course, and hit an incredible drive. It was, a, it was going over 250 yards, but it hit a power line, and alas, it dropped down to 100 yards. And he said, well, son, is that when you use the, the foul language? Uh, no, sir. You see, there was this squirrel that came out and picked up my ball and started running around the golf course. Well, that, surely, surely that's when you use the, the foul language. No, sir. You see, there was this hawk that came down and picked up the squirrel, and my ball was still in the mouth of the squirrel, and they were flying around uh, the fairway. Well, I know, growing impatient, that that's when you use the words. No, sir. Actually, the squirrel dropped my ball, and it hit a tree, and it careened off a rock, and it bounced back. And would you believe that it stopped six inches uh, from the hole? The father said, you missed the putt, didn't you? Yeah, that's why I use the language. Every faith tradition, Catholic, Protestant, Jew, Gentile, has a mechanism for when a breach happens between the human and the divine relationship and the human and human relationship. Confession 
Repentance and confession are spiritual disciplines, whether it's in a booth or in pastoral care or here on your knees as you're taking a Holy Communion. We realize that we're flawed and we, we need repairing. And that there's only one source of power that can do that. And so the first part of this fourth line says, forgive us, release us, O Lord, from this weight we are carrying around. That's the easier part of the prayer, isn't it? Jesus could have stopped. We wish he would have stopped there and said, just work on us. But he kept going. And he said, you also have to forgive other people. That's how this works. You have to forgive other people. Once we release the guilt and the shame to God, um, you know, we start thinking about what damage have we done, what fences need to be uh, mended at that point. But the whole idea is we're taking a, a completely different path, path. Praying, forgive us or forgive me. It's not just a get out of hell free card that we get to carry around at that point. It's not a one and done. It's an I intend to change my life because I'm giving it to you, Lord. Because I'm not whole, and I continue to wreck everything I touch, or so it seems, or I've messed up this way or this way. It's a way of saying, I want to change. I need to change. Have mercy on me, almighty God. So it's a turning around. I've thought a lot about farmers this week. Um, in some sense, our liturgical color is changing from purple to yellow because of all the pollen, <laughs> and that's usually about the time that farmers start checking on their tractors because when the ground gets dry enough, they go and turn those fallow fields and those winter weeds under to expose new soil, new dirt, the opportunity for new seeds and, and for new growth. This notion of saying, Lord, forgive us or forgive me, it's a matter of turning in a different direction. It's also a matter of turning under. It's the story of the prodigal son, the gospel within the gospel. It's the young son who goes off and waywardly squanders everything that his father has given him. He said, I want you dead. And he squanders everything. And he comes to himself in a pigsty, the pigsty of life. And he says, I, I came to myself, verse 18, and I turned and I went back to the father's house because at least the servants had it better there. And from a long way off, the father saw the son coming and he stands up and he runs. Men didn't run in that culture. He shed all of his clothes to go run to his son. Because he realized his son had turned directions, made a turn, and wanted to be forgiven. And so he did. He gave him a code. He gave him a ring. That's not the rest of the story, is it? There's this older brother. Forgive us as we forgive others. We see back here in the shadows, the Rembrandt painting is exquisite in this way, by the way. Back in the shadows is the older brother who just could not release and let go of the anger that he harbored against his father and his brother. Praying, forgive us, Lord, is a turning around and it's a turning under. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, everyone says forgiveness is such a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And I want to offer that the center of this word forgiveness is the four-letter word give, that in some ways giving the gift of forgiveness and helping ourselves, allowing God to lighten the load for us, allowing us to lighten the load for someone else is an act of generosity 
It reminds me of the prayer of St. Francis. It's in giving that we receive. It's in pardoning that, that we are pardoned. To give, uh, to forgive is to give, but exactly what are we giving? A second chance? Peter wrestled with this, the pillar of the church. How many times, Lord? Seven times? Seven times I should forgive. That's the perfect number, right? That's, that's what he was saying. It's the perfect number. It'd be perfect forgiveness. Jesus said, no, 77 times, or some translations say 70 times 7. So are we only supposed to give 77 times or 490 times, and then we reach like the storage capacity, and somebody harms us the 78th time or the 491st time, and say, sorry, you're out of forgiveness storage at this point. No. What Jesus is saying is forgive again and again, because that's the only way this world will begin healing and that's the only way that you will begin healing too. So Jesus says, pray in this way, forgive us as we forgive others. It's two-dimensional, or two dimensions. There's an internal component, there's an external component to that. The internal component is praying Psalm 51. Create in me a clean what, church? Heart. Work here. And renew a right spirit within me. We cannot have peace around us if there's not peace within us. We cannot expect everyone else to change if we're not willing to change. And so to that end, forgiveness is this process by which we're letting go of the weight of sin from hurting God, from hurting someone else, from hurting ourselves. And it's the arduous process of letting go of the pain that someone else has caused us. And so in this way, failure to forgive someone who has hurt us in some way, it actually perpetuates the power that person has over us. It allows them to maintain that power. Saying, I forgive you, is releasing them of that power in some small way that they have over our lives. And listen, many of you here have suffered unspeakable pain. We've prayed through it together. You've been lied to, you've been cheated on, Life of a child or parent has been stolen from you at the hands of violence. Relationships with children and, and parents have not always been as they should. How is it, Lord? You're telling me to forgive and to receive forgiveness. And to, how is that even possible? On June 17, 2015, Dylan Roof walked into a Bible study on Wednesday evening at Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in South Carolina, and he killed nine people. Roof was a self-admitted white supremacist, and he was sentenced to death after being convicted. Uh, one of the victims was a pastor and also a state legislator, Clementa Pickney. He was also, Clementa was also in David Saliba. Many of you remember David Saliba who served here. He was in David's doctoral cohort at Wesley Theological Seminary, and he and the entire seminary were shaken to the core by the news. David and I often talk about this incident and talk through it. Even when I did my own doctoral work at Wesley a few years ago, just a short time after the shooting, professors were still rattled. They would talk about, hey, you're sitting in Clementa's seat. Let me tell you what he did to leave a lasting legacy. As horrible as that night was, it was not the end of the story because less than 48 hours after the shooting, family members of the victims, people who had lost their mother, their father, their sister, their brother, their aunt, their husband or their wife, they, they appeared in court for Dylan Roof's hearing. It was the first time that they had come face to face with the person who murdered their loved ones. First up was Nadine Collier. Her mother, Ethel Lance, was gunned down. And Nadine squared up to Dylan Roof and said, I forgive you. 
I forgive you. You took something really precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I'll never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. Not every family member was ready to take those steps. Most did, but not everyone was, was ready to do that. Sometimes offering forgiveness too quickly can pose its own challenges to the process of grieving. But most everyone said those words, I forgive you. It wasn't planned. It wasn't premeditated. It, it just happened. Chris Singleton lost his mother that night, and he wasn't present for the impromptu forgiveness event. And so he said, Roof set out to start a race war, but the community reacted in a way opposite of what Roof planned, and it brought the community together. He was quoted, Singleton was, in USA Today as saying, the narrative of forgiveness is submitting, and that means you're weak, or people would like to think that. But what I've realized is that forgiving is so much tougher than holding a grudge. It takes a lot more courage to forgive than it does to say, I'm going to be upset about this or that, whatever, forever. What the good folks of Mother Emmanuel know is, is what we read earlier in the parable from Matthew 18. One servant was forgiven all debts and yet failed to go out and forgive the debts of another. Jesus used this language, and in Matthew and Mark, depending on your translation, it says, forgive us our debts, or forgive us our trespasses. Those are two uh, synonymous terms that we use. Uh, Jesus was very uh, intentional about talking about debts because it was such a big thing. Oftentimes, farmers would be paid one time a year, and that whole allowance would have to, uh, income would have to last them the entire year. And if they couldn't make it, they had to borrow money. And one never knew when one's collector was coming. If you couldn't pay, you went into debtor's prison. If you got lucky, a person called the Redeemer would come and cover your debts and bail you out. Same way with trespassing. It means what it means. You step across a line onto something that doesn't belong to you, a place where you have no business being. So whether we say forgive our debts, forgive our, our trespasses, God is willing to do both. That which we owe God and the ways that we have violated boundaries why are we so slow to offer that same forgiveness to others like those that Mother Emmanuel did? True forgiveness is hard, but it's, it's not optional. And it will require a power that's, and a desire that's even greater than us. I can't help but think about this, friends. If the victim's families from Mother Emmanuel AME can forgive Dylan Roof, then surely you and I can forgive whatever little things are done to us. Forgiveness is release. And so I ask you, onto what do you choose to hold as you walk through this life? It's your choice. The heaviness of guilt, the burden of resentment, the pain that's been caused, or to release that to God and say, help me breathe again. Why does God choose to forgive us outside of unconditional love? Because part of what's wrong with this world is the resentment and the anger and the brokenness to which we cling so tightly and of which we need to let go. We cling and clench and we need to release in order to find peace. That's what I love about our communion bread. We're going to process it forward. It's, it's the Ukrainian bread, as, as most of you know, and it's dramatic when it breaks. It explodes. The dust, the powder, the crumbles, the sunflower, it all breaks. And it's messy. It'll, it's, there's a lot of it still on my robe from the first service. And that's okay. 
because life is messy and we're all broken in some way. And so we come, home, come forward and we present our hands not clenched, not closed, not in our pockets, not behind our backs, not under our armpits. You know, the world would have us do that. We just we do this weird thing. We say, Lord, forgive me and help me to forgive others. So I'm inviting you forward for Holy Communion. And as you come forward, I want you to think, what needs to be forgiven in my life? And of what do I need to forgive someone else? For what do I need to forgive someone else? With that in mind, I invite you to pray with me the prayer that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.